0: If you are new with us, uh, if I don't know you, my name is Sean. I serve as one of the pastors here uh, at Mercy Hill. Just like Jack had mentioned, uh, we have been going through this series, Mercy Hill Values, uh, here for the last four or five weeks. And really just an opportunity to celebrate what we believe uh, that is not just... Just truth that we write down, but is intended to influence our lives. You know that theology is supposed to go to? Doxology. Okay, theology goes to doxology, right? So we study Scripture not to puff up our knowledge, but instead that it affects our lives. It changes how we live, the way we think. And there are values that we believe, uh, as Mercy Hill, that the Bible teaches that we are to celebrate. Now, some of these values, we would say, are secondary to the gospel itself, meaning uh, some of these values are not the very emphasis of salvation itself. Salvation is on Christ and Christ alone, although that doesn't mean they are less significant. They are very significant. This morning, we have the opportunity to study God's Word together and to talk about a value called complementarianism. Complementarianism uh, is the belief in the Bible that God created male and female completely equal in personhood, dignity, and value, all the while also different in role and function in the home and church. Okay? So that's what complementarianism is. Uh, So we have the opportunity to study this morning together. So I want to ask you a question Do you believe this statement? Living within your God-given role, will produce joy. Do you believe that? Living within your God-given role will produce joy. Well, here's the reality. I can prove it does for cows. I know, that sounds weird. So in Switzerland, in Switzerland, the cows are put away in the winter because it gets really, really, really cold there. Okay, so they're put away in the winter. They have to stay in pens. And of course, they let the cows out during the springtime. And so let's watch just a quick video of the cows. They're coming out for the first time, and they get to see their pasture. But look at it. Look at the cow dancing. Have you ever seen a cow legitimately hop? I mean, bunking bronco, and it's not a bronco. Look at how happy these cows are. Look at how happy these cows are. They have been cooped up, and they are out just loving life. Loving life. They are now functioning in the way God intended them to. Get me some grass, some fields. Give me the opportunity to stretch my legs. I mean, look at this. Have you ever? Okay. I mean, mean, come on. But, Bobby, how many cows do you see that do this in your life, right, that just jump up for joy? I mean, I tell you what, this is is absolutely amazing. So if you can imagine cows functioning in such a way that finally they get out of their pinned-up culture and their time, and now they get to just be who God intended them to be. They are happy cows. (laughs) I know, guys, so this is a really weird illustration. Uh, though, though, God made cows, and they're happy cows doing the happy dance when they can be who they are intended to be. And the reality is humans are the same way. Humans are just the same way. We can be happy humans. Well, let me get some more specific. We can be happy males. We can be happy females. Well, you can be a happy female. I can be a happy male when you are living the way God intended you to. And so that that is what we have the opportunity to study. When male and female live and function in the distinct way God intends them, they have joy, they have purpose, they have life. And that's what I want for you this morning. I want you to be able to see what God intends in Scripture, and that, that would influence the way you think, the way you live, that we will have a church of happy men, happy women. <clears throat> and church, we believe that. You will receive that kind of joy when you live within the complementarian view of male and female relationships. So you see there at the very top of your notes, you see the definition, which I started off by saying, but let us say it again. You can keep that up. That's okay. Uh, The definition of complementarianism. Complementarianism is a theological view that the Bible teaches that God created men and women equal in personhood, dignity, and value, but different in certain roles and functions in both the home and the church. And we find this belief... Fully rooted in Genesis one through two, which is pre-fall. So that's what we get a chance to be able to study together this morning. But before we kind of just get into like the nuts and bolts of what we believe the Bible says about the roles of men, the roles of women, particularly in household and in the church, uh, I want you to be aware that there are multiple views within the Christian world. So you'll see that at the top of your outline that's up here. I really like this. Uh, I didn't make this, okay? Um, I really like this because I think it helps. It helps to sort of know what's out there. Like, what are are the different beliefs? uh, What have I potentially thought of? What have I leaned? Or where where do other churches potentially fall? Um, I think this is a helpful graph to be able to help us see the different... Uh, Christian perspectives out there uh, for uh, different roles of male and women. And what you kind of see here is you see the far left uh, is going to have an overemphasis on women, and then you're going to have on the very far right an overemphasis on men. Now, you see these lines, right, on the top and the bottom. What I like about this line is the line ends right there in the middle of feminism, if you see that. And that's because we would actually state that a lot of feminism is completely anti-Christian. Okay, so, so there is some world of feminism that is seeking to be thinking in the Christian mindset, but a lot of feminism is very anti-Christian. And we'd also see the same thing with patriarchy on the very far right. Is patriarchy going to have so much of a high emphasis, overemphasis of men? Is that some of is going to be very, it's coming from a very uh, heartbeat of seeking to be faithful, but then there's a large part of this that is completely anti Christian as well. And that would you definitely see in the overpower and authority of men that would lead to abuse. So as we talk this morning, Each one of you are coming to this discussion with different experiences. Some of you are coming to this discussion as you think about the roles of men and women. It's very influenced possibly to the way that you were, you were brought up. And that could be very positive, And it could be very negative. Some of you are influenced potentially with the life you've already lived. And that could be very positive. It could be very negative. And I just want to encourage all of us this morning, no matter where we're coming when we talk about roles of men and women, however this sits upon you, is I just recognize emotion is going to be there. And that's okay. It really is. But what I want to encourage us as a church is we, we never seek to understand Scripture through emotion. We don't We don't seek to understand truth by what we feel. We understand life through the lens of Scripture. We do not understand Scripture through the lens of life. So this morning, what we do, and I'm excited to do this with you, is let's understand life through the lens of Scripture. Because that is where truth resides. So let's let, let's before before we jump into some of the, uh, the outline, uh, let me just kind of quickly give some definitions to what these are, real quick, just so you kind of uh, okay, can kind of get your 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 handles wrapped around sort of these four views. Now, if let me just say this. I am just not going to be able to answer all your questions in this message. Um, you might come out of this message with particular questions of application. Good. I want to serve you. Uh, there's a lot of nuance that I could that I, that I could that I could say. Hey, what am I not saying? Though, I just want to be faithful to say what the Bible says this morning. And so, don't don't take that as um, unconsiderate. But I want, but if it resolves in kind of having lingering questions, that's okay. I want us to continue to have this conversation. But I want you to know where where do we stand? What's the what's the theological ground we stand upon? So feminism uh, that you see. So feminism uh, is believes that women are fully equal in role and function in all spheres of life, politically, economically, socially, and spiritually. So fully equal. uh, They they tend to view life with a little bit of skepticism and fear of male leadership. Uh, They will often view the Bible with a bit of skepticism because the Bible was written by men. And so, so there is, I, I think there is a, there's a piece that is good in the heartbeat of saying, men and women are equal, good, 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 yes. But they overemphasize what that means. Uh, egalitarianism, right here, which would be next, uh, is is kind of known as evangelical feminism. So that's how you would kind of think about egalitarianism. Now, the difference between egalitarianism and feminism, well, one is egalitarianism is going to still believe that men and women are fully equal, uh, even in their role and function, although they really work hard to prove from the Bible. That's what you're going to see, okay? One of the differences between egalitarianism and feminism, they really try to prove from the Bible. And I would say they are also not as suspicious to male leadership, as long as the role for women can be open. So for example, if if women can be pastors, then their suspicion to male leadership will not be as high, as long as the role is open. Complementarianism. Uh, Men and women are fully equal though, have a distinct role given by God. Free to serve in the church, really the the primary narrowing factor is leadership uh, that that is given to men and not women. Uh, Patriarchy, here on the very far right, uh, is going to have an emphasis of male headship as hierarchy. Really believing that women are under male authority at all times. Uh, women can't lead Bible studies, can't lead worship, uh, very limited in their, in their function in ministry, uh, better to stay home <clears throat> and just raise kids. <clears throat> uh, so so you're gonna, that's kind of like a quick definition of where, where we're at with these four. So this is where we kind of hit the outline here for a moment. Before we start teaching and looking at where God's Word teaches us about that there is equality and distinction for male and women, I want us to ask this question, why is there so much debate? Do you think there's a lot of emotion in this? yeah all right think about culture alone think there's much emotion with gender Yes okay so there's a lot of emotion there is debate um, there is conflict right there's true conflict when in 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 this world of male roles and female roles and what's equal and not it it's not just a theological truth but We are men and women, and so there's a lot of feelings and emotions with it. So why such the debate? And this is why I want to uh, point and answer this question before we really start uh, studying together a little bit, is because what we can often think is that there's so much conflict with roles of men and women simply due to our culture. It's rampant in our culture. Uh, Politics have a play uh, in this at times. But what I want to help you see is the conflict of gender roles is not caused by cultural pressures alone. But rather, the conflict stems from the curse of sin. Hear me. The conflict doesn't come from sin. Well, yes, conflict comes from sin. Uniquely, it comes from the curse on sin that we see in Genesis 3 after the fall. And so to to see this clearly, sin's curse lands on the rights of the roles of men and women. Look at Genesis 3.16. I will, so this is the Lord in Genesis, In giving a curse among the women after sin, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. So I want you to see this. The, the very temptation that women are now going to have for the rest of their life, now that sin is real, is they are going to be tempted to overpower and take control of the very role that belongs to the man. Okay? do you see that? This is, this is the Bible. So, like, oh, wait a minute. The, the very aim that a curse is going to have is to affect the role of the woman and man. We see it in Genesis 3:17. towards the man. Man receives pain, just like women. Well, not just like, but they receive pain as well. Their pain is going to be in their work. It's going to be in their sweat, their toil. Uh, the work that God has called them to, to work and keep the garden, is now going to be very hard. There's thorns and thistles in the midst. And so the very thing that God called them to becomes extremely hard, it becomes extremely all-encompassing, and it will draw them away from the woman. So, notice the conflict in Genesis 3. The toil of work can draw the man away from the wife and cause him to not lead. All the while, a wife just wants her husband. And she then begins to try to take his leadership role. If you're looking for a job in counseling, you'll always have one for the rest of your life, okay? Because this is going to be a conflict. And, and the reason we start here is because I think seeing it, I believe is going to do three things for us. One, it's going to help us, and it should allow us to have compassion on those who struggle. On those who struggle with this this battle of man and women, what the roles are. We just should never look down our nose on others. Oh, those feminists. No. Like, there is an inward struggle. They may not realize it, but that is there. That is helping them think this way. And, and I believe second, it also just helps us realize that, that this is filled with emotion. And if we, we can't trust our own selves, if the curse of sin is going to be on the very role of men and women, then I can't just trust what I feel about it. It may very well misguide me. And then thirdly, here before we move on, I believe this just encourages us to fight to be grounded on truth so that the truth may influence our thoughts and our emotions don't. So let's get a refresher on truth this morning. Amen? All right. Got to be awake. Got to stay awake this morning with me. All right. So let's talk about untainted biblical roles of men and women. Genesis 1 through 2. So we just talked about Genesis 3 for a moment, of where we see the effects of sin hit hit the roles of men and women. But really for us to have the proper theology of men and women, we need to see what did God create at the beginning? When it was perfect, when sin and distortion was not happening, what did he intend, what was happening? And then we take that and we know that because of Christ, he's going to restore that. So let's look at that, Genesis 1 through 2 together. So your second point here is men and women. Uh, honestly, a decade ago, I probably wouldn't have had this point in here, though today it is very important to have this point in here. So Genesis 1.27. Genesis 1.27 states, So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. Church, do you is there a third option? Does, does he say we created male and female and a non binary? No. He doesn't. So we have two. We have two genders, male and female, uh, that we have to see that God is creator, and we are creature, right? God is creator. He has created male and female. There's not a third option. and we will find the most joy in the Lord as we trust Him in helping us fulfill the male world and the female world. That's how you have happy cows. Uh, Let's look at point three together on the next page. Point three uh, is men and women are equal in personhood, dignity, and value. As you can see, we're kind of unpacking the definition of complementarianism, okay? Um, Because we, we believe and we celebrate these truths, and they're so vital for us to see in Scripture but in order for us to celebrate. So let's look. Equal in personhood. Uh, Adam and Eve were both made in the image and the likeness of God. We just read that. Genesis 1.27. But I want to read Genesis 1.26. I love this verse. I love it. Uh, let's just read it together, okay? So Adam and Eve were both made in, in the image of God and the likeness of God, right? The likeness of God, a.k.a. trinity. The Trinity. So, what we see in Genesis one twenty six. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. You hear the plural? Isn't that amazing? In the very beginning, God creating. It's, he's not alone. He's not alone. This is where we actually see the Trinity coming up because he says, "Then God said, 'Let us make man.' Who's he talking about? Who's he talking about? Let us make man in our image, and our likeness." What I love. God is Father, He's Son, and He is Holy Spirit. Godhead is three persons three distinct roles, and one God fully equal. Fully equal. Each person of the Godhead is God, is their own person. And as we step back, we say, okay, as we are learning male and female, we are created in that image. That means we are created in the image of God, which reflects personhood, which is a good thing, which is a very good thing. So, reality, church, man is just no less of a person because he grows a beard. Women are no less of a person because they're different, and they grow a little less hair on their face. They're two different persons, and they are equal in that, even if their hair grows differently. Equal in dignity. Equal in dignity. Both male and female are worthy of honor and mutual respect. Can I get an amen? Yes, come on. Both male and female are worthy of honor and mutual respect. Yes and amen. But here here it is. Why are they both worthy of mutual honor and mutual respect? It's because they're humans. They're humans. They're both made in the very image of God. Even that one person that comes to mind that you just don't like, you are still called to honor. Not their choices, not their actions, but you honor because they are made in the very image of God. And so honor and respect are two-directional. It is two-directional. It's not the job of the man to simply honor the woman. It's not the job of the woman to simply honor the man. It is the job of both to honor one another because in 1 Peter 2.17, he says, Honor everybody. You're honoring everybody because they're the image of God. Equal in value. Equal in value. Let's read this passage, Acts 2, verse 17 to 18 together. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth of my Spirit upon all mankind. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy even upon your bondservants, both men and women. I will in those days pour forth of my spirit. So, do you see it? If you're going to underline in here, you're saying, okay, that I will pour forth my spirit upon all mankind, both men and women will receive the full spirit of God once in Christ. So, wh- why do we say this? Because the Lord does not distinguish whom he pours his spirit upon based upon gender. No, they're both equally valuable. Equally valuable for the receiving of the Holy Spirit. 1 Peter 3.7. And your note says, Husbands, love your wives in an understanding way. Show honor to the woman and the weaker vessels. Since, this is what you're underlining, since they are the heirs with you of the grace of life. So there's just no sense of superiority at all. There's no inferiority. There's no resentment. There's no competition between men and women. Both will be the heirs of grace. There is also no hierarchy of who is more spiritual. If a husband were honest, you'd really be saying amen right now. You missed it. You missed it. Oh boy. Uh, <laughs> okay, so what we're saying: both men and women will receive the full outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and what I love is, and, and we won't get into all of—I how feminism really thinks about this. But is, is one of the one of the main verses that egalitarians and feminism will use to kind of try to combat a little bit of their belief is Galatians three twenty-eight. Galatians three twenty eight. Uh, Paul's talking, and he says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ. So they will often take this verse and say, hey, look, in Christ, he abolishes the difference between male and female. So in Christ, they're completely one. But what they fail to do is to read the entire passage. Because the passage is actually talking about something so good, and is talking about the fact that it doesn't matter your social status, it does not matter your gender, it does not matter what you do in the world when it comes to salvation. Oh, the Jew. The Jew has no more status than the Greek to be saved. In Christ, they are all able to be saved. And so that means, and it shows the equality of the value that God has as He looks at men and as He looks at women. You know, the the, the patriarch view here errors because they would tend to make man more superior to the woman. They have a higher calling, higher responsibility, and that's wrong. Fully equal in value. Feminism errors because they define equality. They say yes and amen to equality, but they define equality as sameness. They define equality as sameness. So any mention of men and women having different strengths or different abilities or tasks is immediately inequality. That's how feminism will err, because they define equality as sameness. And the Bible Bible does not teach that. Sameness, church, is not beautiful. Uh, Just, I mean, just, just think about an orchestra. If you had an orchestra and they all had the exact same instrument and they played the exact same song, they played it the exact same way, the exact same timing, does that sound beautiful? Or does an orchestra sound beautiful when there's multiple instruments playing harmoniously and in sync together, that's beautiful. The quality is not sameness. In that orchestra, all those instruments have equal value. And what makes it beautiful is how they have their own unique, distinct role. And that's complementarianism. All right, let's look at uh, point four together. Men and women are different in their equally valuable roles and functions. So we just sort of, even in that last illustration, kind of start thinking about this a little bit more of, of the distinct roles of how it brings beauty to God's design. Because equality is not sameness. Equality is equality. So if you wondered what it was, that's what it is. Equality is equality. Men and women are different in their equally valuable roles and functions. So let's start here by, by looking at Adam, uh, that point A will state that Adam was created as leader, Eve was created as helper. Adam was created pre-sin, pre-fall. Do you see there in my notes, I have that pre-fall? You see it? You see it? All right, the reason why I have pre-fall there is because it is important for us to see in Scripture that leadership was pre fall. Because many different views would actually argue that leadership was the effect of sin. And that's not true. Because we will see leadership in Scripture pre sin. So Adam was created as leader, Eve was created as helper. <clears throat> So multiple ways that we actually see this throughout throughout these passages, but I'm just going to talk about a couple. Okay, uh, there's more, but we're just going to talk about a couple. One here is you'll see leadership is revealed in the order of creation itself. So what we're talking about here, right, is is men are called to have a role of leadership. Is that biblical? We are saying yes. And it was pre-fall, and this is where we start seeing some of it. So leadership is revealed in the order of creation itself. God created who first? Adam. God created Adam before Eve. Now our now our our culture sometimes you're like, okay, who cares? <laughs> right? Like, what does that matter? Because honestly, this idea of firstborn does not have as much weight to us in our Western culture as much as it did day one of history. And we see that all throughout the Old Testament, that the firstborn was given particularly unique rights and responsibilities and privileges to be firstborn. There was a prominence in the family. They got best of inheritance. And it was so, it was so known that if you were the original audience reading the scripture, the firstborn meant something. And that is why Paul in 1 Timothy 2.13 actually uses this as grounds to teach and to prove the right of leadership within the church, is for the men. When he said in 1 Timothy 2:13, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. So Paul was using the order of creation as an example of what God intended to be able to help the people of God see that men are led. I'm sorry, men are leaders in the very created order. Also, we see leadership revealed in the order of accountability. Before creation of Eve, if you remember in Genesis... Before Eve was even created, God commanded to Adam not to eat of the fruit. So no Eve. God commanded Adam, don't eat of the fruit of the tree. Eve was created. Eve was the very first one to eat the fruit. And then God came back into the garden. And who did he call? Adam. Wait a minute. Why? Eve was (laughs) the one who did that first. Because there is a, there's an order of accountability. Men who are held responsible, Adam, who was held responsible to relay the very Word of God and protect his wife, Eve, didn't. He didn't communicate it. He knew it. It's written in Scripture that God told him exactly, do not eat, before Eve even existed. Eve existed, and he didn't fight for her. He didn't protect her. And God held him accountable. He called Eve him first, because he has a unique role of leadership within that marriage. And then the third point here you'll see uh, under this is how Eve is called to come alongside Adam to assist him in the vocation God gave him to work and keep the garden. Eve is called to come alongside Adam to assist him in the vocation God gave him to work and keep the garden. I want to read this again. I want you to see if you agree with this. Eve was created. She was called to come alongside of Adam to assist him in the vocation God gave him which is to work and keep the garden. It's important that you see that because this is what the Bible says. But it also has a lot of influence on a lot of theology. So this is a little bit longer, but let's just read and marvel real quick in the account here in Genesis. Okay, I have the verses here in your, in your notes. But I don't know this is, you know, as we know, these sermons are a little more like kind of lecture style, you know, than expository teaching. So I don't want it to get boring on you but may the word of God never be boring, okay? So let's read this and let's marvel in what he did. Genesis 2, verse 18 through 23. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. The man gave names to all the livestock and the birds and the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God intervened. The Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to man. And the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Amazing. 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 To see God's creation and how He and how He does this. God, God created woman for the support of Adam. Because Adam was given the call to lead within the garden well, to work and to keep, and he needed help. This is before sin. Before sin, <laughs> Adam needed help. So men, think about how much more help you need with sin. God has given women. It's a great gift. Great gift. So let's just camp here for a moment. All right, let's camp here for a moment. It's hot. you all hot? Okay. Uh, sorry. Uh, let, let's camp here for a moment. So just, just imagine, Adam, he's sitting in the garden. He's like working hard. (laughs) He's he's uh, probably riding tigers. He's playing fetch with T-Rex. He's cuddling with dogs. Like Adam, I can just imagine is just in this beautiful place, uh, probably loving life. But he wasn't fully loving life actually, because he was incomplete. He was incomplete. He actually couldn't fulfill the job that God gave him to the fullest of his ability. He needed a helper. Did God make a mistake, guys? Why didn't he just create Adam and Eve at the same time? Right? Wouldn't that have been helpful? Oh, just... At the same time, you don't have to go through that learning experience, right? You definitely don't have to do an awkward surgery to create women, right? Taking that rib out, so crazy. But God, He didn't. This is pre-fall. This is no sin. This is perfection in the garden. He created Adam, and He needed a helper. Why didn't He create them together? Because He wanted to make a point, He wanted to make a point for us, for all of creation, to be able to see that man was designed incomplete. He needed a helper fit for him, a woman. He didn't need a dog. He didn't need social media. He didn't need work. He didn't need friends, video games. He needed a woman. He needed a wife. Richard Phillips says in his book, Masculine Mandate, he says this, Adam did not need just a companion, as if man just needed relational fulfillment. Not a mate, just to procreate. He needed a helper. Man's primary job in the garden was to work and keep his creation. Man needs a helper that is also made in the image of God to do the work, and to keep creation with him under the man's leadership. I love this, guys. I, God is so kind in the way that he creates. And Eve Eve just didn't take over leadership. Right? She, wasn't, she didn't just take over the leading. She was created to help him lead say that again, Eve was created to not just sit back and let him lead. There's a difference created to jump in and help him with the leadership of the work. He's held accountable. He has the call, but the helper is there to help. Ladies, our culture just doesn't like this word helper. I don't know. Maybe it doesn't sit well on you. I don't know, um, but I know a lot of the culture they don't like it. Um, honestly, it's just from a very unhealthy overemphasis of independence. <clears> this <throat> word, helper. But may I just petition you? Helper is noble, and it is beautiful in God's sight. It is noble. It is. Beautiful. Do you know that helper in the Bible is the word used most frequently to speak of God in his faithfulness to his people? Moses rejoiced in Exodus. He said, The God of my Father was my help. Jesus says in John 14, But the helper, the Holy Spirit, The Father will send in my name and he will teach you all things. You're going to tell me that helper is negative? What? Is God negative? Do you kind of wish you didn't have the Holy Spirit? Do You think, oh man, I wish the Holy Spirit wasn't giving the name helper. We need help. And God gives it, his kindness to us. That's what women are. To men, it's beautiful, it's noble. God is just not distant, He is present and He helps. So, you ladies, women, rising women, you reflect God in the way that you help. The next point the New Testament applied in Genesis 1 through 3. Uh, So, as we look at this next point, we're now kind of, now now we're saying, okay, we sort of did a little bit of a deep dive into Genesis 1 and 2, right? We sort of saw the effects of the fall, how it has actually aimed to that very role of men and women. But how does this apply in the New Testament a little bit? Okay, so we're taking a little bit of a step back just to be able to see. So, in doing that, let's read again this point. The New Testament applies Genesis 1 through 3, To the differing roles in the home and church, concluding that leadership is both male. So we're not here to talk about should a woman be a leader in the workplace, okay? What what the Bible's talking about is what's the role in the home and in the church, okay? So we see that the conclusion is that leaders are both male in the home and the church. Let's read Ephesians 5, verse 22-25. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. This body and is in himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So in the home, husbands are the head. Now, let's make a note. Make a note, make a note. Leader and head does not mean rule over your wife. But you see the distinction. Leader and head does not mean rule over... The passage does not say, Husband, ensure your wives submit to you. Husbands, exercise headship and authority over your wife. It does not say that. That is how patriarchy would take that a bit. Okay? No. What does it say? How are you to lead? Sacrificially. By loving them. Husbands, you lead... By loving your wife. Just as Christ loved his church. That is leadership. John Stott, listen to this, how oh, he says it better than me. All right, John Stott says this if headship means power in any sense, then it is power to care and not crush. It is power to serve, not to dominate. Power to facilitate self-fulfillment, not to frustrate and destroy it. And in all of this, the standard of a husband's love is to be the cross of Christ on which he surrendered himself even to the death of his selfless love for his bride. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for your great love towards us. Thank you for your sacrificial love. He laid down his life for you. Men, lay down your life for your wives. Upcoming men, you will have future wives. Leadership looks like sacrificially loving. Now an observation here: um, <clears throat> leadership in the home is not really a question of competence or gifting. You should you think about this for a moment? Leadership within the home is not a question of competence or gifting, like it is in jobs, right? Like if, if you were to work a job. Hopefully, the leader is one of the most qualified, gifted people for that job, right? Like, we kind of think, well, family is not Forbes 500, right? So, the, the, the way that we sort of assess who should lead is not the same way you would assess who leads in a business, because God is giving direction to homes, and, and I say that, because God calls the man to lead, even if he's not the most gifted at it. Do you see? If you don't feel like you're just the most natural leader, that's okay. If I'm just not as gifted. It's okay. I'm pretty confident, guys. Jessica is probably a better leader than me at times to be honest I she knows what's going on next week and I don't <clears throat> she she leads the kids to Christ, models forgiveness but she's not called to it. she might be better. <laughs> it's not her role. And and actually, if I could say it this way, it is unkind of me, even if she's more naturally better at leading than me, even if she could lead the family better than me, it's unkind for me to let her. The reason is because I exist, (laughs) I'm alive. And God has me in the family to lead. And her very toil is going to be to overpower my leadership. Does that make sense? Like the, the, the sin, like is she is going to be tempted to see my lack of leading and, and to kind of lead. And when I let her, she's carrying a burden she is not called to. And it is unkind. So, husbands, lead because God calls you to. And if your wife is a better leader, you have a great helper. (laughs) Okay? You have a great helper right there to walk with you and to help you do it right. But lead the conversation. Seek, ask her, how am I doing? It's okay. It's not a show. It's not. Oh, I'm showing weakness as a bad thing. No, it's good. It's good. Okay, I, I got to be aware of time. Um, okay, awesome. Uh, so, okay, you. Everybody heard in this uh, this passage that as women are helping the men lead, they are submitting to the leadership. Some of you that's probably a cuss word. <clears throat> Uh, I don't know. Don't don't throw tomatoes. Uh, think about submission for a moment. Yes, you are called to submit to the leadership of the husband. And guess what? You're also called to help in that leadership. But then as you submit, I just want you to think about Jesus. That's it. That's it right now. Think about Jesus right now. Ponder on Jesus. Jesus submitted to the Father's will. So submission is a great calling. It is a great calling. Jesus submitted to the will of the Father, which then led to redemption, salvation, forgiveness. Submission does this not mean silence or passivity. No. Jesus wasn't silent. He fought hard. He helped accomplish the will of the Father. Sam Storm says, Submission is the disposition to honor and affirm your husband's authority and with an inclination to yield to his leadership as long as it is godly. Is so supporting your husband? That he will reach his full God-given potential as a man of God. Oh, we could say so much about it, but we don't have time. If you got questions, of course I want to talk. So let's, let's go on to our last point. Uh, we're actually lastly just talking about the church. Uh, so we see, we see the role of men and women within the family uh, very clearly. Uh, we see now within the church. Uh, so 1 Timothy 2, 12-14 says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. So you see the Genesis application again. So in the church... The Holy Spirit imparts to both men and women. We talked about that. Fully imparts. And Scripture is recorded that women prophesy. So it's not really meaning remain silent, right? We actually don't, it doesn't mean don't talk. Paul is stating that it is the very responsibility of the pastor who must be male to exercise authority through teaching. Women can lead Bible studies and are gifted. I'll be honest, there might be women better preachers than me. It's just not their calling, not their role. Use their teaching gifts outside of the local church headship. And so, in the complementarian world within the church, you're going to see churches that kind of function differently. I hope if you are here, you see how we value and believe that women should be within ministry. Very important. You see that by the fact that we have women deacons. Though, the only role a female cannot hold is the governing authority and role to teach Scripture over men. That is the role they cannot hold. And church, it's less about the fact that women can't teach. But hear, hear this. It is more about the primacy of the preached Word of God as the means of grace to His people. God leads His people through the primacy of the preached Word. And that role is given to a man, which we would apply as pastor's within this church. And I believe that's what the Bible says. <laughs> oh, this is good stuff. And we've got we to we come to an end. Um, so we've kind of done this loop a Pre-fall, sin, we see leadership. We see the role of men and women. And then we see the effects in sin, But isn't it good news that our hope is in Jesus? Because in Christ, He's redeeming us back to the original plan. He's redeeming us. Now we're becoming more in the likeness of Him. And so church, may may, may I ask you to pray and to seek to apply. And you take this home. I put those three application things in there. One, believe it. Believe it and delight in his plan. Early on in Psalms 119, I just love it. I will delight in the statues of God. And it says, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things. So would you allow the word of God to delight? Church, would you live it? Would you live it and pursue your calling and your gifts? Each man and woman have gifts. Pursue within the home. Pursue rightly. Have these conversations. Be in sync. Be the beautiful orchestra. And when you're out of sync, guess what? You have brothers and sisters with you to walk with you, to point you to Jesus. Jessica and I did that just a week ago. And lastly, teach this to your children. Teach this to your children. Raise up. Your little squirt boys to be biblical men. Raise up girls to be biblical women. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of Let me pray, and then let us us just go out this morning with just giving Him praise uh, and to sing. So church, if you would just stand up uh, as we go before the Lord to give Him praise thanks father thank you for your great plan for your design we trust you and may you continue to make us a church that complements the very creation of men and women may we bring you glory and may our neighbors see the picture of the gospel amen